Hi there, I'm Nick DeRosso, and welcome to Inside the Leadership Cryptex podcast, the show where I talk to business leaders and industry experts working in or in association with the property, real estate, and building industries. Now, to give you a little insight into what a Cryptex is, Perhaps you've heard of the book by Dan Brown called The Da Vinci Code. Well, this is where the cryptics made its debut as a portable vault used to hide secret messages. Therefore, Inside the Leadership Cryptics is an apt title for my podcast. Please join me for a fun, straight-talking and authentic chat with some super interesting people where I unlock the secrets to their career success, their ups and downs, their daily habits and the path that led them to where they are today. How do they balance their work, family relationships, physical and mental well-being, and both personal and financial growth. I also uncover their goals for the future, along with some industry commentary and insights. I really do hope you're able to take something useful away from the conversations. And now, on with the show. Hi there, I'm your host Nick DeRosso and welcome to the very final episode of the season. And to finish on a high, I am super excited to be joined by my very special guest, Emily Young. Emily is the Executive Deputy Director for the WA Division of the Property Council of Australia. She joined the Property Council of Australia in December 2018 as Policy and Communications Advisor before becoming the Senior Policy and Communications Advisor for the Victorian Division in April 2019. Emily moved to Perth following her appointment to her current role in October 2020 and she now considers herself a fully-fledged WA sand groper. She talks about the Property Council and the role it plays in the Australian property industry and the crucial work it does to support the industry and the current hot topics. Emily also studied law in her early days and talks about how it has allowed her to develop her career into the role it is today. Her journey has taken a few curves and detours and is super grateful for the opportunity she's been presented with as a result. She has always had an interest in property and being involved with and assisting the policies that can change and shape cities. Emily also highlights her role models that have helped shape her as a person and a business leader and how her inspirational role models have developed her leadership style. There is so much energy and passion in our discussion that it is the perfect episode to close off on the season. And I really do hope you enjoy the show. Well, hi, Emily. Thank you so much for joining me on the show. Pleasure. Thanks for having me, Nick. Oh, no, it's great. It's great. Now, look, you. Um, we'll go, I'm going to go straight into this because we talked offline and there is just so much to talk about. Um, so I'm going to stop talking as much this time and let you do all of it. So Deputy Executive Director of Property Council WA, do our WA division. Now, I didn't start there. You've got a lengthy no. tenure here. So where did it start? Yes, yeah, so I've been uh, with the Property Council for, I've uh, just knocked over four years at the start of, um, sorry, at the in December of last year. So it's been uh, quite a long journey. I started in the Victorian team. So I was the, actually, I started on a contract way before that with our yeah. Retirement Living Council, um, did a short contract, and then I joined the Victorian team. So I was a mem- I was the Senior Policy and Communications Advisor there for two years, um, and then the opportunity came to move to WA, and I um, I haven't looked back since. It's been fantastic. Right. That, that, that was a big move. Did you come over by yourself or did you have family? Yeah, I came over by myself, but I've done quite a lot of moves in my career. So the moving part wasn't so scary. Um, I'd also spent about a year living in a one-bedroom apartment during COVID. So um, 
it was a bit of a, I was um, probably a bit of a COVID refugee to WA <laughs> um, uh, and uh, was very grateful that there was a bit of a window of time where I was able to sneak in because uh, Victorians weren't welcome anywhere for a little while there. Yeah. So it was yeah. nice to be able to, to get into WA. Well, you're one of us now, so that's good. <laughs> that's right. I'm a proper sand groper now. I think it's been the quickest indoctrination I've ever gone through. Oh, definitely. Yeah, you've, you've picked a fun period, that's for sure, especially obviously the property industry has gone through so much, you know, changes. Yeah. Um, so tell me about your role and that of the, the body of the property council. Sure. So um, the Property Council are the peak industry body representing the property uh, the property industry. So we cover a fairly broad scope. We look after everything from industrial real estate to retirement villages to commercial office buildings, residential, high-rise, residential, um, you know, uh, build to rent. Uh, really, if it's got built form on it, it's uh, got our name on it as well. So um, we're an advocacy organisation principally and our, we sort of work with our membership to make sure that we're driving outcomes that help support the property industry and delivering the built environment needs that mm -hmm. our community relies on. So yeah. um, that's everything from sort of having the ports to support our industrial capacity to ensuring that there's an adequate supply of homes so that we can retain our enviable affordability here in WA. Yeah, absolutely. Well, <clears throat> you've touched on a few big things there. Now, obviously, it's an industry body, so we've got around 1.4 million Australians around the country that work within the industry, um, yes. which is massive. So, you know, a lot of employment happens in property. Um, so how many people, how many members, I guess, are in WA? So we've got over 300 member companies in WA, which mm -hmm. is a fairly significant um part of the property industry yeah. uh, but you're right one in five Australians work in and around property so it is a huge part of our economic engine as a country mm. and it's not just um, the developers we have a huge amount of mem a huge amount of our members are uh, in associate industries so uh, lawyers uh, marketing specialists architects engineers um, planners the like so uh, property um, I think a lot of people think about property as being the development community and that's certainly a very important part of it uh, but it is a much broader community beyond that as well. Yeah absolutely and, and some big tasks ahead as well. Now you touched on some some of those people involved with it as in lawyers and you have studied law when we, we look way back. So you've, you've got a bachelor's in law. Um, you've also been involved with obviously PR, strategizing with other businesses um, privately when you were doing consulting for people wanting in, you know, to work and talk to government. Um, mm -hmm. But talk to me about the law side of things and, and how that's helped you now. Yeah, so it's probably a bit of a funny story. So I was studying I like um, international <laughs> relations Um I was studying international relations and politics and I um, had great ambitions to to go and work for the United Nations, which, um, you know, is is uh, quite a, a, a massive undertaking for a 17-year-old for a or for anyone really. The, the jobs are a bit few and far between. Um, and I was about halfway through my degree and I was working in a wine bar on campus and uh, the Dean of Law um, at our law school, Bill McNeil, uh, would come in every now and then for lunch. And and he every time he'd come in for lunch, he'd say to me, Emily, what are you doing? Why aren't you in my law school? You need to be in my law school. And so, um, you know, I, my mum had also been pushing me to try and uh, have add to my, my qualifications with a degree that had a 
um, direct career attached to it. Uh, and so, you know, I took the plunge and I added law to my existing degree. Um, and it's been a it's been a bit of a journey. I, I haven't um, practiced as a lawyer. I worked as a judge's associate for a year. Um, but when I finished that, the judge I worked for um, jokingly remarked that when I told him in my interview that I wanted to go to the bar, he didn't realise I met the one down the road. So, um, <laughs> <laughs> so um, as much as I love the law, I think it wasn't really in my bones, but the problem-solving elements of it were, the policy yeah. elements of it were, um, this, the critical thinking um, elements of it were, and certainly, um, you know, the love of debate all all came through my law degree, and I um, and it was a great experience, and I, I I'm very grateful that I listened to Bill in the wine bar when he told me to stop stop just doing my politics degree and come and join him in the law school. Awesome! It's amazing how doing one thing can open up doors and lead to different things, even if you don't actually use it. You have been, and it's it's basically held you in good stead for where you are now, right? Yeah, that's right. I mean, there are so many transferable skills that come out of law. It's a brilliant degree um, to, to undertake. There's certainly a lot of um, dry content as well. I, I, you know, I have a lot, a huge amount of respect for constitutional lawyers. I couldn't think of anything worse, but, um, uh, you know, I think that there are, there are many other elements that are excellent and uh, there's quite a lot of humorous case law out there as well that you can sink your teeth into. Oh, yeah, absolutely. You've got to be an avid reader. <clears throat> My brother is a lawyer, um, um, practising one as well. So, yes, we um, <laughs> the debates are very good, <laughs> I have to say. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> okay, so um, so you've sort of, you've been in PR strategising and that's all similar to what you're doing with this role. But was there a focus purpose on moving into property as such or was it a, a, a simply an opportunity four or five years ago? Yeah, I, look, I think um, I've always had a really deep interest in property and um, my grandfather uh, was um, in local government for a long period of time in New South Wales and the thing that he was always the proudest of was the legacy infrastructure that they delivered over the, his time in, in um, local government and, you know, there's um, something quite um, special about feeling a connection to the changing shape of a city or the changing shape of a suburb. And, um, you know, I think uh, every every dinner party conversation has been around, has been about property since I was, you know, 12. So yeah. I think I had a bit of a natural lean towards it. But uh, look, there's definitely been opportunistic elements to my career as well. And I wouldn't say that it was a totally strategic decision, but um, it's certainly one that I've been grateful to. It was certainly a road I was grateful I went down. Yeah, awesome. Now, who um, you've you've mentioned in a post on LinkedIn actually a little while ago, and I think it was around International Women's Day, and it was a fantastically written post, um, and about some of the people that have inspired you, that have helped you along the way. You said one thing um, which I loved, um, and it was very something close to my heart as well that you've never seen gender, and I'm not going into a political thing, right? But just you've never seen gender as an obstacle to your career success, and I absolutely love that um because i don't i see it as well you can you got the gigs you can do the job that's it you're you're done yeah um so talk to me a little bit about that and some of the people that have inspired you along your journey because there's some pretty great people there yeah i mean um the best one absolutely is my mom she was um uh, the most kick-ass human being on the planet. I'm not sure if I could say that, but I just did. Yes, so, you can. You can say whatever um, you want. <laughs> <laughs> you know, she uh, she raised four children, um, got a PhD, 
worked full time the whole time that we were through school and was the sort of person that everyone would point to as, you know, like would go to for advice because she was always had the most sage advice, but she had a a killer dry sense of humour as well. So you'd walk out of the conversation feeling like you'd learned something but you hadn't been scolded or you hadn't sort of like been told what to do. You'd been sort of encouraged along your journey and um, she was just an absolutely incredible woman. Um, So certainly I had a great role model in her. I, you know, I I, all of my aunts um, as well have all been phenomenal role models, you know, in their passion. Every single one of them is the most passionate (laughs) woman I've ever met. There's no (laughs) lack of um, talent and passion in my family. My sister, uh, for example, is, you know, uh, one of, I'm going to get this wrong for sure, but she won the university medal, I think, for her um, studies in medicine. So she's also not, you know, slacking. Um, so, uh, you know, so I think that there's always been a bit of a drive to succeed and and uh, a lot of that I think came from the fact that both both my mum and my dad were raised by parents who felt that it was incredibly important to, to give educational opportunities, um, you know, confidence and experience to the, the wealth of my mum was one of four daughters Um, My dad's got two sisters as well and my dad's mother is an incredible Australian artist. So, you know, there's a lot of talent there. You kind of had to rise to the occasion. (laughs) Um, uh, But, but yeah, they've all just been massively inspirational to me. That's great. And how do you feel that that has helped you with, you know, your craft, your style, I guess, in, in leadership? Yeah, I think that um, it's it, it's an interesting one, really, isn't it? Because when you read um, books, or over time, you'll have different interactions, and sometimes there's a a push which sort of says, you know, female leaders should be more approachable, and you should sort of try and tap into your, um, you know. Uh, softer side to be able to curate um, your team or your leadership style or the like. And, and I, and I don't think gender really has anything to do with your leadership style. I think what's really important when you talk about leadership is um, authenticity um, and, and being prepared to, to get into the mud. So, you know, I would never um, ask any of my team or anyone that I've worked with to do something that I wouldn't be prepared to do myself. Um, and, you know, even when I was coaching water polo a million years ago that, you know, I would say that to, to the teams that I was coaching, like, you know, if, I, if I'm not going to ask you to do anything that I wouldn't be prepared to do as a player. So, you know, that's how I, that's how I approach my professional journey as well. Like if I can lead by example, you know, put as much passion on the table as possible, but be genuinely authentic in my experiences, you know, when you make mistakes to say, well, that one's on me, guys. Like I could have done that better. Or, you know, um, even when you have a bad day or or you have an interaction that's not the way that you would have liked the interaction to occur to say, I didn't do that well. Like I could have done that differently or I could have considered this or I could have considered that. But, you know, I had five phones going at the same time (laughs) and I, I, you know, and I picked the, I picked up the wrong one and I, you know, said what or (laughs) whatever the case might be. So, you know, I think that, um, I think that if you can be authentic and acknowledge where you've, where you uh, are great, but also acknowledge where you're not so great or days where you're not so great, then that's, um, that 
gives people a confidence that, you know, they can expect the same thing from you day in, day out. And I think that's what's really important. Mm. That's actually a really good comment is <clears throat> even in leadership is being consistent around that. Um, and I have been involved with, I've learned from a lot of leaders and um, I've experienced that inconsistency um, with people in leadership very close to me, actually, where you just depending on the mood or something, you're not quite sure what to, what to deliver. And I have to say, and I've learned this over my career, and it is something I've been guilty of in the past and something I know um, is part of me and I try to address it. <clears throat> I don't lead yeah. as many big teams anymore <laughs> but I don't think I don't think that you know consistency is necessarily the benchmark I think that no. I like that, that's the goal yeah. but but I think authenticity in saying you know I wasn't consistent today mm. or you know I um you know I could have done that better and I didn't you know that that's what people really appreciate and yeah. um you know and I think if if you can I think as leaders, sometimes we need to fall on our swords and say, oh, 100%. I could have done that a different way. Yeah, absolutely. And look, I <clears throat> when I was having bigger teams, I often used to have a roundtable discussion around. I might have had an idea and set where I wanted to go, but I'd call on everyone else to say, let's, let's talk about this feedback and whatever. And ultimately, I'd actually, there was one time I sat there and go, well, my idea was rubbish. That is awesome. We're going to do what you just said, you know, <laughs> and it's very hard to do. It really is because you feel yeah. like you've That's always right. got to driving you don't you know um no. you've got a team around you now talking about teams who's who have you how many you got in your team and how does it work during the day for you you've got so many things going on yeah so um, <laughs> we've got i've got three direct report team members in my team um the property council team in wa is eight or nine, sort of depending on how you categorise the office composition. Yeah. Um, so we're a relatively small team. But um, that being said, we operate 10 um, industry committees. Each of them have around sort of 25 people on them. So whilst whilst they're not sort of my direct team members, they're definitely the people that I rely on to be able to deliver our advocacy. So um you know, it's a, it's a, it's a either a small team or a huge team, depending yeah. on how you want to look at it. That's so, true. yeah, yeah. I, but, the, yeah no, but the three in my advocacy team uh, and the broader WA um, property council team are um, truly outstanding. Every single one of them. Fantastic. That's awesome. Very uh, lucky. Yeah, absolutely. The. Some of the things you're advocating for now, I also read something you very influential in the apartment space. There's been some great apartments open recently. Um, uh, Finbar was one of them that you're at. And around stamp duty, and you mentioned also about that we've got a, a housing problem, right? So what is the council doing now? That is, what's the hot priority that you're all sort of working on? Yeah, I mean... Um, State government itself has acknowledged that we have a, a challenge with our housing market, the vacancy rates in the rental space um, and the available sort of new stock coming online. Both of those indicators aren't fantastic at the moment. Yeah. Um, but there is definitely a, uh, a significant commitment to delivering new supply. And mm. um, a lot of the measures that we um uh, that the state government and the property council have been working and collaborating on um, over the last six months will hopefully 
deliver a lot of new supply to market. Some of the key changes has been the uh, build-to-rent uh, land tax concession, <clears throat> which was announced at last year's state budget and the definition for um, for projects that it will apply to came out in the last two weeks. Could you uh, explain so think- a little bit more around that um Build to rent, Emily, and how that sort of works? Yeah, sure. Yeah, so build to rent is an institutional rental product. So essentially uh, you have a developer who builds and manages the, the apartment over the whole life cycle of the project. So it's really a renter-first model of housing. Right. So our current rental market relies on, you know, individual investors buying homes and then holding them over the long period of time. And what we know is that, in periods of market, you know, fluctuation, when we see sort of some rapid market growth, like we saw at the end of, um, at the start of last year, end of, or or like we have seen, sorry, over the last two years, mm. some of those investors see it as an opportunity to pull out of the market. So yeah. that was a big contributor to what happened in our rental market recently, and we had a significant number of um, individuals who were who were um, uh, landlords who sold their properties and they sold them to owner-occupiers, so people who wanted to then move in. So then the renting, the family who was then renting that home had one less house on the market that was available to them. Mm. Build-to-rent doesn't operate that way because it, the model is designed for long-term rental uh, or for, to provide long-term rental into the market. It's um, you're not reliant on a mum and dad investor wanting to hold their asset for a period of time. All you're reliant on then is just being a good tenant. Yeah. <laughs> um, so if you, we know plenty of stories um, around the built rent asset in Subiaco, Subiaco Element 27 that's managed by Sentinel, for example. Mm-hmm. They've had tenants who moved into a one-bedroom apartment met a partner, decided to then move into the two-bedroom apartment so they had their workspace, now they've had a baby and now they've moved into one of the three-bedroom apartments within that same asset. So it creates community, it creates that certainty of, of um, and security around sort of the capacity for long-term um, accommodation in a rental product. And it also just provides options for people who don't want to own a home. Not not everyone has shares the dream of right. a four by two in the suburbs with a heels hoist in the backyard. I think the way that we live is changing. People want more flexibility. They want more opportunity. They want to be close to amenity as well. So build rents a really excellent opportunity for that institutional capital to step in where the investment market has sort of stepped away a little bit in recent years and really provide an exceptional high quality rental product to the WA market. Yeah, that. Thank you. That is a great explanation because um, I wasn't even fully aware of how it all worked. Um, it's interesting. A couple of points then around change of lifestyle, I guess, for people coming through, and, and I can I can attest to that because my daughter um, is what twenty two. She'll be twenty three next year, and my I, I'm <clears throat> fifty two, um, and I've been brought up in the same as yourself. Is like it's you know you build this house, you keep it, it's the dream, and you've got a- equity and what have you. Not no interest. They they want to they want to rent, they want to travel, they want to they still want to have an investment property, but the priorities are certainly different, <clears throat> and where they want to live is certainly different to the way it used to be. Um, yeah. So that's really interesting. The other question I had for you is around the stock. Is it more likely or suited to apartments only or is it something you may see in say not house and land packages as such but let's say a three unit side or a six unit side where they're just villas or townhouses uh for built to rent yeah 
Yeah, so built rent at the moment is um, purely vertical residential and right. that's um, that has to do with sort of uh, economies of scale around operating. So, mm -hmm. you know, I think you you have a, with most built rent products, you'll have a dedicated concierge. Uh, if your light bulb blows or your microwave blows, they come in and replace that for you. So on the spot, so it's sort of like uh, is made for that, that community style multi-residential apartment living um there i think there are a couple of examples in um the us and the uk of of there being sort of townhouse elements to build rent projects but it's still quite a, a young market in um australia and western australia so we did have the first built rent product in a, uh, the first built rent development in the country, um, but in the meantime, New South Wales and Victoria have gone nuts and built a heap more, and we've we've uh, still got the um, sort of the one at the moment or two stages of of one. So, look, I think um, there's certainly potential for the future, but what we're looking at at the moment is really just adding to that. Um, that apartment market. Yeah. Okay. And uh, look, it makes sense because we have got so much land in WA in particular where we can do that <clears throat> and around great amenities, which obviously is going to save the state government and us as taxpayers spending money on, you know, going too far north and south, which we really can't do much more anymore. Yeah. Um, you know, um, have you found the changes to legislation, the Residential Tenancy Act has affected adversely or positively this sort of structure? Because obviously, there were a lot of landlords, like you mentioned, were selling changes to the way the tenant could behave in the property, you know, gave them a lot more power over perhaps the landlord used to have. Um, what are your thoughts around that? And has this been beneficial in that regard? Uh, look, I mean, Cathart from Regra is definitely the one who to yeah. answer that question. So I might uh, handball to her and I'll put you in touch so that she can she can come on your show and um, yeah, and. Right, do yeah. Um, but look, what I would say is that uh, you know the key to the key to a healthy, successful residential housing market is supply. Mm. So if we can ensure that we've got enough supply coming onto the market to meet demand over the coming years, that's really the most important thing that we can do to make sure that there are enough homes for for people to choose whether or not they want to rent or want to buy. So, you know, we would like to. What we'd like to see is a healthy diversity of you know. Both the four by four by twos in the suburbs, or you know, the greenfields developments, as the, as they sort of tend to be called, mm. um, but also you know more infill projects that give people the option to be closer to where they want to be, yeah. um, or or as well you know a variety of, of built to rent products, um, built to sell products and the like. So um, diversity is the key to uh, diversity and supply are the key to making sure that we've got a robust and healthy market, particularly with. Uh, our population set to grow as much as it is. Yeah, absolutely. <clears throat> and stamp duty reform would be good. I'll talk to Kath about that too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, look, I mean, I think stamp duty, uh, we have seen some stamp duty reforms in the last budget, um, particularly yeah. for off-plan purchasing. And I think they're, they're phenomenal changes. Firstly, um, the off-the-plan concession is now changed to being a concession instead of a rebate. So it mm. used to be the case that you had to pay your stamp duty and then you'd get your money back. Um, that's now not the case. So that's a really excellent reform that the state government have brought in. Um, you know, I, I think stamp duty is always one that everyone would like to see constantly reformed, but we, we did see some really positive steps at the last state budget. Yeah, no, that's great. Awesome. Now, 
Back to you. Um, I something else you were involved with recently, which I saw, and that was really exciting, was the <clears throat> the forty under forty. Excuse me. <clears throat> um, and um, you, that that was amazing. How did that feel going through that process for you? Oh no, it was an exceptional experience to go through the nom- to be nominated and then to go yeah. through the process of um, putting myself forward for something like that. Um, I didn't make the top forty, which is uh, which is totally okay. Absolutely. <laughs> um, I, the, the list, um, the list of people who were selected are astronomical, and it's such a ringing endorsement to to how much talent there is in WA. Um, you know, I thought, but uh, you know, for me as a as an industry representative, the most rewarding part of the whole program was. Um, all of the all of the fabulous feedback I got from the membership and the encouragement I got from our membership um, mm. throughout throughout the, the period. So, no, definitely a great experience and um, a cracking awards night as well. Yeah, absolutely for sure. So, in the space you are now, obviously you're you're a significant leader in the property space um, and 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 a successful woman as well. You've got some amazing women leaders around you as well. What advice can you give to people who want to follow your footsteps, people that are wanting to come, whether it's in real estate or it's property or it's building. Um, I was fortunate enough to speak to um, Paula West, who's the general manager of Inspired Homes um, recently about this as well. And for the building industry, which has a whole other different set of, you know, reasons why they want to try to get women into there. But what, how do you tolerate the knocks? I mean, let's face it, the, the property industry has historically been a boys club. And you've come in and you've paved the way, you've gone leadership from one state, come over leadership to another state. Well, I love it. What advice can you give to young people, young women aspiring to sort of do that sort of thing? Um, I mean, I, I'm in a really blessed position because the Property Council in WA has an all-female leadership team. <laughs> so, <Yeah. laughs> um, we, you know, we could probably do with some diversity the other way at some point, but um, I would never change the team that we have because the, the um, because Melissa and Sandra are the best people I could think of to work with. Um, but, I mean, I think really when you look at construction, construction um, has historically been a bit of a boys' club and there's certainly a lot of work that's being done to to rectify that um uh property as a whole doesn't tend to be we've got um we have a, a 40 40 20 commitment to um across our panels and also our committees at the property council and okay. so we achieved um we achieved diversity across all of our 10 industry committees in wa we achieved diversity across all of our event um discussions so i think that certainly that's changing but Coming back to your question, which is what advice would I um, mm-hmm. give to to young women? I would just say follow your passion. Um, the don't worry about whether or not it's seen to be like a boy's job or a girl's yeah. job. But those things don't exist anymore. There's you know, find what you're passionate about and just go go for it. Um, for young women going through their career, I would say the best advice I ever got was from a previous boss of mine and. He said to me one time, women tend to end their sentences with a higher inflection when they are thinking, when they aren't entirely sure. And she said, don't do that. Just okay. finish finish your sentence with the same tone because, you know, that that even if you're not fully confident in what you're saying, it sounds like you are. So, <laughs> um, <laughs> so if you're ever in one of those meetings where you think, I'm pretty confident that I know the right answer here, but I'm not entirely sure, Please don't end it by, by you know, please don't end your sentence by thinking, well, 
you know, that's what it is. You know, just say that's what it is. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's some good advice. I hadn't even heard of that yeah. one before. So there you go. Um, speaking of advice, the something I, I know you would have done heavily when you were studying your law, you would have been doing a lot of reading. Um, what is something that is on your shelf now that you're you're reading that is is it a fiction or is it a um um, oh no, I'm a complete and utter political nerd. I'm reading Joe Hockey's new book. Like, are you really? <laughs> I, I, <laughs> I can't help myself. It's just who I am. So, um, you know, I, I I do also read a lot of fiction, but um, but at the moment, I've got I've got Joe Hockey's new book by my by my bed. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. How's it going so far? Is it, is it interesting? Yeah, it's, it's great. We actually had him speak at our. Um, we run an event every year called the Property Congress. Um, this year's one's in in um, Adelaide. Everyone who's in property should make sure to get along. It's happening a bit later this year. Um, but he spoke at our last Property Congress, which was last year on the Gold Coast, and was a phenomenal speaker. And, um, you know, some of his stories are just great and they are just peppered throughout the book and it's an, it's an excellent read. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, he's good. I like him. So what's next for you? Uh, where's the, uh, I guess, your future um, goals? Um, and obviously with the Property Council, hopefully here in WA, um, what's what's uh, on the agenda? Yeah, well, I can definitely confirm my future is in WA. So. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I, what does the future hold? Look, I mean, that's a great question. I, I'm really enjoying what I'm doing right now. And um, I have the privilege of representing one of the best industries um, in Australia and certainly the best industry in WA. Uh, I, you know, I love um, being an advocate for the Property Council WA membership. And um, so I think for me, the next step is just to keep on achieving great outcomes for our members. And, um, you know, we'll we'll see. We'll see whether. We'll see where the journey takes us. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> well, look, you're uh, the, you're perfect for this. What you're doing is fantastic. Every time we've chatted, your energy in is um, just so catchy. I love it. So thank you so much. Where can uh, people get hold of you if they want to have a chat to you um, about anything we've spoken about and also the industry? Yeah, you can always find me on LinkedIn. Um, you know, I'm pretty I'm a pretty easy person to find. Um, Basil Zemplis one time told me that he's got the easiest mobile number to find in Perth. I think mine's probably the second easiest to find. So um, reach out to Nick, get my get my mobile number. I don't mind. So, um, awesome. Just come have a chat. I love a chat. Fantastic. Emily, um, it's been an absolute pleasure to have you on the show. Um, you've shared so much around your leadership, your style, um, certainly some things around the industry that um, I I didn't even know. So I, you know, I'm quite privileged in this role, be able to sit here and ask questions, just learn from great people like yourself. So it's been an absolute Thank privilege. You. Well, it's been a pleasure to join you. I you know, always love it, always love our chats. So look awesome. forward to doing it again soon. Thanks so much, Emily. I will talk to you soon. Cheers. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thanks so much for listening to the show. I'm truly grateful and hope you got value out of it. If you did, please share it around and tell somebody else and help us bring this amazing information to others. If you know of anyone you think could add value to the show, please feel free to get in touch. I'd love to learn about them. Today's episode is brought to you by Sunel Recruitment. I am the founder and director of Sunel Recruitment. We are your personnel partners for amazing talent in the property, real estate and building sectors. If I can help you in any way, please get in touch at the contact details in the show notes. And remember, we can all learn so much from each other if we just learn to help each other. I'm Nick DeRosso. See you next time.